And welcome into another edition of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Jason Martinez alongside Joe Torty. Uh, episode number three, Joe. We've made it three episodes. They haven't canceled us yet. If these people have terrible taste in podcasts. If we get to stick around this long, people need to find something better to listen to. Well, we have some uh, We have some maintenance to take care of uh, first and foremost here. Of course, we always uh, welcome people to tweet in their questions to either at Jason Mert or at Joe Torty. And uh, we've also now created a... Uh, podcast show Twitter handle. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's its first uh, birthday today. So what is what is the Twitter handle? It's it, it is at stick to the number two hockey pod. Okay, and that's simple. on Twitter. Yep, that's on Twitter. So give that a follow. We also have now uh, an email address. Yes. So this is if you have topics that you want to discuss, and also we're going to get into it in a little while here, but uh, there are people who, who might be interested in advertising on the podcast as well. So if you fit into either of those two categories, it's a stick to hockey biz, B-I-Z at gmail.com. Okay. So stick to hockey biz at gmail.com and stick to hockey pod on twitter that's the and of course you can hit us on the regular ones as well and we've been soliciting questions and we're going to get to those coming up uh in this episode but we do have a a jam-packed uh episode three for you uh very happy to say that brian boucher former flyer goaltender the goaltender who still holds the longest streak of scoreless streak in nhl history will join us we'll talk about brian elliott and amongst a a bunch of other issues with boosh coming up and also uh flyers beat writer dave isaac going to join us so we got a lot to get to, Joe. And, of course, the news that broke last Friday was that Nolan Patrick had surgery. Now, I tweeted out last Thursday night, a, a kind of a cryptic tweet. I didn't have a lot of information on it, but I just sensed some things were off uh, from some people that I talked to. And I, I put out a tweet saying, something is going on with the Flyers. It was a very vague tweet. I know the people on the message boards. You got I, roasted. Yeah, and I got roasted for it. And, I, and look, I didn't have more information to put out, and I could have just not put anything out. I, I just knew that something was up based on some things that were happening that I was dealing with. And, and in talking to people, and it did come out Friday that he had the surgery on June 13th uh, for the sports hernia. Um, prior to the draft, he's out two to four weeks more. It's not going to affect his camp. It's great um, that, that he's getting this taken care of now. Uh, obviously, it wasn't something that procured the Flyers from drafting him. Just some maintenance issues and, and some cleanup on the core of his body. It did bother him all of last year. And uh, it looks like we're going to be talking with Nolan coming up uh, maybe even this week. We may do another podcast this week. Nice. There's a lot going on. Hey, the People think it's the offseason, but there's actually a lot to get to. Yeah, there's no real offseason anymore in the NHL. Yeah, when we get to August, there may be a little bit, but then we'll get into power rankings, player rankings, and all those kind of things as well. But uh, jam-packed show to get into here today. And let's start with NHL free agency. We're talk to Brian Boucher in a couple minutes, but let's start with the NHL free agency. Really, the big move right now, or the big news of the day, is that Connor McDavid has signed an eight-year extension and a $100 million contract. Uh, it'll go into effect not this season, the following season. The, the, uh, the window to negotiate started. He is now going to be uh, with a $10.5 million average. That's what uh, Kane and Taves signed there in uh, Chicago a few years back. Kerry Price signs a big, uh, a big extension as well, $10.5 million eight-year extension. Let's talk about first Connor McDavid. Huge money for a young player. He is going to be the best player in the game. He's not yet because Crosby's still that. But is that too much money to allow the Oilers to be able to pay Dreisaitl, pay a supporting cast, and compete and still be able to have the ability to win cups? Too much money. 
Jay, that's a discount. He only got $12.5 million Could have got 13 season. yeah. He could have gotten more if he wanted to. I saw a stat that said that right now his cap hit for the upcoming season is a little bit more than 900000 And then after that, it's going to be $12.5 million. So it's like a 1,000% increase in change. So for me, there is no price. We've seen how good teams are when they have stability up the middle. There is no price that's too high for a guy who's going to be an elite player. Not even a top five player. You're talking about a guaranteed top three player at his position and likely the number one guy so for me the youth the scoring touch already the fact that he and Dreisaitl have something special going on I I talked about it earlier on my Twitter account saying that this is the new version of the Malkin and Crosby growing up together and stabilizing the middle that's what Edmonton's got cooking right now and and, and look no further than Chicago Taves and Kane too you're paying two guys a a lot of money but if you have those two guys and they're able to do what they do, and I know Kane's a winger, but that said, you can still win, but you got to have those supporting cast guys like Pittsburgh has done with guys like Gensel and Sheary and all these guys to really help you to be able to win a Stanley Cup. But you need the studs to get him for that deal, and they're, and they're going to get Dreisaitl done. They're going to get a contract done no with Dreisaitl. They said they'll match any offer. Yeah, and I'm surprised nobody's offer-sheeted them, but uh, th- that being the case, McDavid gets the money. He deserves it. 100 points last year. He won the Hart. He won the Ted Lindsay. Uh, I don't think he should have won both of those. He was the, their team's most valuable player. They would have never done what they did this season without him. Uh, both he and T- Cam Talbot were a big part of why they were as successful as they were. So, congratulations to Connor McDavid. Starting next year, dinner's on him. Yeah, no question about that. By the way, he's not the only uh, young forward who recently got locked up. Who's that? You're d- talking oh, about that yeah. Alex Galchenyuk for Montreal, who is a. Uh, it's attached to what every single team in the NHL in terms of trade rumors before Montreal said, "Hey, maybe this guy's pretty good, and we should think about keeping him for ourselves." Even including the Flyers, there was <laughs> some smoke there apparently around Gatchenyuk and the Flyers. He signs into three. I think it's the three-year extension. This news kind of just coming in right now. Um, one of the, another, you know, he's another one of those guys. Montreal's kind of a confusing team to me. I don't know if they are a legit Stanley Cup contender team or not. Mark Bergevin's treating it like it is, or his job's on the line. Uh, but he signs an extension there. And then in another another deal that just comes out, and this one kind of, I scratched my head at, Patrick Marleau. I know that he hasn't really seen a drop-off. He's been around forever, spent his whole career in San Jose. Uh, I don't get the three-year deal in Toronto for a guy like Patrick Marleau. On that team, with all of that youth... And this is no disrespect to Patrick Marlowe. He hasn't had Stanley Cup success. What is he going to teach Austin Matthews and those younger guys? Like, I get how well, to, be teach to be a pro. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. But in terms of bringing that championship pedigree, like, for instance, like Chris Kunitz brought to the Penguins, a bunch of kids who didn't know how to win, you know, you're looking for a certain kind of veteran to fit a certain kind of team. Marlowe and the Leafs, that didn't make sense to me either. Yeah. Galchenyuk's deal, by the way, uh, he's 23 years old. He had 44 points last year, 17 goals, 27 assists, and 61 games. His AAV is going to be 4.9. Uh, million. Uh, it's a three-year deal, so it, it's good for him. It's like a bridge deal. He's going to be able to cash in again on that. All right, let's go to the big one. Let's go to Carey Price. This deal, to me, he gets mad money, and look, he's the best goalie in the world. I get it, but eight years at that money, I think the last three years of that deal, you're kind of kicking yourself. You had to do it, 
but you're still kicking yourself. Well, and the other thing that you've got to consider is the delta, right? The difference between him and the next best guy. Is he the best goalie in the world? Probably. Is he that much better than the second best guy that the the difference in the deals needs to be what it was? For me, when I see Carey Price... Spending money on a goalie, that's a dangerous way to live if you're building a championship team because you don't see very many huge money goalies winning Stanley Cups in today's NHL. You're normally spending money on your defense and one or two forwards, filling in with a bunch yeah, of cheap Big guys. up the middle, good center. You know, yeah. Yep, and filled that way. And you're hoping that you have a goalie who's either on the first deal or the second deal that you're catching at the right time. I'm worried about this for Montreal's Cup aspirations during the life of this Yeah, deal. I'll tell you what, when we do get to power rank, there's going to be a team that's going to jump up in the power rankings big time, and that's the Dallas Stars. They've done a lot this offseason. Ben Bishop, they signed. They got his rights early and signed him to a contract. They also come to terms on a five-year contract with Alexander Radulov, 31.25 through the 21-22 season. They probably didn't want to go that long in term. Obviously, he had he was a little bit of a problem child, left, came back, proved himself last year with the Canadians. But that I'm telling you, that... Dallas Stars team, who two years ago, by the way, was great, the number one seed in the Western Conference, is going to be a team on the come, especially with Ken Hitchcock back behind the bench. And that's on the heels, by the way, of the Hansel deal. They yeah. locked him up as well. So Martin Hansel, yeah. You're kind of pushing all in in terms of committing for the next three or four years. Your championship window, look, Spezza's not going to play forever. You've got Tyler Sagan, who's there. You need to maximize what you can do with him. And they think, they think with Ben Bishop, they've got the goalie situation figured out now. So if the Dallas Stars, probably more more than any team in the NHL besides maybe the Penguins are in full-on win-now mode. This is what they're gearing up yeah, for. Yeah, I mean, and uh, of course, two other deals real quick, because Netsoff uh, signs an eight-year deal, $62.4 million with the Capitals, but that's not really the one that's got, I have an issue with. It's the TJ Oshie deal. You can't possibly like this deal, can you? That is uh, my least favorite deal of the offseason. It's not the money. The, the money, you knew that TJ Oshie was going to get a good raise, but when you're talking about a guy who waited until he was 30 to have a career year, the way that he plays so physically demanding, both blocking shots, hitting people, getting hit all the time, to commit an eight-year deal to him in the wake of what you already saw. The Alex Ovechkin deal stopped them from being good for a long time because of how much money that tied up against the cap. So to commit to that again, I was a little bit surprised that Oshie got eight years. And then Kuznetsov got, what, eight years at $7.8 million average annual value. At last thought, Jay, I think I saw that they were less than $4 million from the salary cap, and they had 16 players under contract. How's this going to work? Yeah, it's... That's an ugly situation there, and it's going to be one that's going to last a long time. But right now, we're very happy to join uh, the podcast, Stick to Hockey Podcast, Joe Torty, Jason Martinez, former Philadelphia Flyer goaltender. He was around the NHL for a long time. That magical run in 2010 to the Stanley Cup Finals with the the, uh, penalty shot save to put the Flyers in the the playoffs against the New York Rangers. And right now, Brian Boucher joins us. Boucher, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jason. How are you doing? Congrats on the podcast. I see it's a big hit amongst hockey fans in the Philly area, so congrats to you on this, and thanks for having me on. Well, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun doing it so far. The, fun to stretch the legs a little bit and really get into some some geeky hockey talk, and you know the people are enjoying it, and we appreciate you taking a few minutes today. And I figured no better time now that Boosh than to get you on to talk about a goaltender. The Flyers just signed one, Brian Elliott. He'll be the new goalie for the Philadelphia Flyers on a two-year deal. Very palatable uh, cap hit for the Flyers. Uh, be a 1A, 1B situation with Michael Neuvert. What do you think of the signing of uh, Brian Elliott as the Flyers' new netminder? 
I, I think it's a good signing. Uh, I got a lot of respect for Brian Elliott. I really do. I, I think he's a guy that, like, you know, you look at his track record was a, was a guy that had to earn his stripes and earn his playing time in college at Wisconsin. Uh, was a late pick, I, think, I believe a ninth rounder. They don't even have nine rounds anymore in the NHL draft and, and had to work his way through the American League and eventually bounced around in a few teams and has really, uh, you know, got himself to be a really good pro and a real dependable guy. And I, I know it's not probably a sign that Flyer fans are uh, really excited about in the sense that it's not a big-name guy uh, that you're bringing in. But uh, I think for what the Flyers are looking for and where they're at in their timeline as far as their development of their young guys, I think this is a good signing. This is a guy who's at 32 years old. I still think has some good hockey left in him. Uh, I, I don't think he's a, a clear-cut number one, and I think he struggles at times. I think that was maybe a little bit of a struggle for him last year in Calgary, especially early on, the adjustment of going to a new team and maybe feeling the pressure of being that number one guy when he really was a 1A, 1B type of guy in St. Louis. Uh, I think he struggled with that. But if you look at the way he played from, I want to say, mid to late January and on, I mean, this guy really did play some good hockey for the Calgary Flames. And although he didn't play very well in that series against Anaheim, uh, he did play some good hockey for him. And I'm confident that under a good structured system, uh, he can be a real reliable guy, and I think in a platoon system with Neuvert and him, uh, they can provide some solid goaltending for the Flyers this year and, and win them some hockey games. Uh, Bush, what is the, you know, when you go to a new team, and you just referenced that he went to Calgary last year, there is an adjustment for a goaltender as well. A lot of people think it's just, hey, you stand there in the crease in the blue paint, you stop pucks, it's real simple. But reading off your defense, reading the new system, and dealing with those things is a lot more difficult than maybe people understand. How long of an adjustment period is it for a goaltender, generally when he changes teams in a new system with new yeah, defensemen? It, it can take a while, Jason. I mean, sometimes, you know, you just go to a place and you don't feel comfortable at all. Uh, you don't feel comfortable comfortable uh it could be the fact that you're you know you're not comfortable off the ice maybe maybe uh, the adjustment to uh home life is not all that good for you and that can affect the way you play on the ice and i, I don't think fans really understand that or appreciate that a lot of these guys have young families and uh the adjustment for the families it can be difficult um so you know that's one aspect of it you know then the other aspect is you know the way a team plays and the style of play that they have and Although I don't claim to be an expert on on the system that Calgary played last year, uh, the one thing I do know is that the St. Louis Blues and under Ken Hitchcock, they played a pretty airtight defense. And uh, I think for Brian Elliott, that was a system that he thrived under. And I think maybe going to a new place with new new teammates, new system, new city, uh, it was a tough adjustment for him at the start. And and the other part that I really feel may have been the, the biggest factor in all of it was that they were expecting Brian Elliott to come in and be their number one guy in Calgary because they had some brutal goaltending the year before. And I think for Brian Elliott, that's not him. He's not a guy that's going to come in and play 65 games like a Henrik Lundqvist or a Terry Price. He's more of a guy that's going to get you 50, 50 games max, I think. He's got to be a guy that you know can, can carry the load for three weeks, but he also needs a breather. And I think that's where he's most uh, uh, you know, most effective. And I think in Philadelphia with a guy like Neuvert, if he can stay healthy, uh, both of these guys can give you quality starts. And maybe you only run a guy out there, you know, maximum three, four games in a row, and then the next guy plays. And in a system like that where guys know what's coming ahead of them, 
guys like that, and they know that, okay, I, you know, I buckle down for three, four games, and then I'll get a breather. Maybe I sit for two. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to gripe about it. It is what it is, and we just make the best of it. And I think in this situation, this could be a nice little setup for the Flyers if they both can stay healthy and do their jobs over the next couple seasons. Yeah, and obviously know your role. Uh, you alluded to that. Uh, his best save percentage year was back in 11-12. His first year with the Blues rated a 940 save percentage. That's pretty gaudy. Uh, last year, a 910 in Calgary and also had a 930 in his last year in St. Louis in 49 games. Uh, speaking of Michael Neuvert, he's a guy that uh, obviously has had a hard time staying healthy, but when he's playing at the peak of his game, he's, uh, he, he's a very good netminder in your opinion, right? He is. He's fun to watch. I think he's athletic. Uh, he's not the biggest of guys. When you look at today's NHL goalies, a lot of them, uh, you know, have this size that you just can't, you know, you can't imagine in this athleticism that they play with. Uh, then you have the technical side of it that, you know, makes them very difficult to beat. I think Neuvert is not the biggest of guys, but he, he reads the game well. I think he's got tremendous athleticism uh, in the net. Uh, and when he's healthy, he battles to find pucks. Uh, I think he's one of those guys that when he starts to get on a roll and his confidence is, is, is high, he can be a guy that can carry the ball for, for a little bit. Uh, I don't think he's one of those guys that can carry it for 65 games like some of those other guys. I don't put him in that category. But, uh, you know, look, I mean, if you're looking, you know, you, you know, you look at other goaltenders around the league, do you want to eat up, you know, your cap number with a, you know, a 13 to 15% of your salary cap and pay a guy, an incredible amount of money and, and hope that he stays healthy and plays a lot of games for you? Or do you want to have a system where maybe you're paying guys, you know, anywhere from, you know, four to four and a half million between the two and they can give you both quality starts both ways. So it's all in the philosophy that you may have as an organization. Personally, uh, I like both systems. Depends on which goal you're talking about as far as being a bona fide number one. But I also like the platoon system. I don't buy into the to the notion that, teams can't win with a platoon system. You look around the National Hockey League, there's a bunch of guys that are, you know, high-end NHL starters that have never won a Stanley Cup. Carey Price, Henrik Lundqvist, these are the two names that really stand out as the two best goaltenders in the National Hockey League that probably uh, carry the biggest cap hits, and they've not won anything. So uh, I think at times you have to just find the guy that, really fits well in your system uh, and if you have to do it in a platoon role I think it can be I think it'd be a, it can be a system that can work for a team uh, obviously it's a team game you need not just the goaltenders to play well you need the whole team to play well and I think for the Flyers They've got a nice little tandem setting up for the next couple of years. And this certainly tees up, we're talking with Brian Boucher, this certainly tees up uh, the bridge, really, to either Carter Hart or Felix Sandstrom. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's what I believe. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the Flyers are still three years away from really being a legitimate uh, contender, uh, in my opinion. And look, I'm not, not to say that they can't be a team that gets to the playoffs and, and makes a few runs. And yeah, you were off. part of one of those runs. <laughs> Right. Unexpected, yeah, it, right? Yeah, and it and it can happen. So it's not like something that I'm saying that they, you know that's not what the Flyers are looking for. I'm just saying realistically, uh, you know, you're looking a couple years down the road. Like, and I look inside into their division. I mean, the Washington Capitals had to dismantle a bit here after really trying to go for it. So you know, Ovechkin's getting a little bit longer in the tooth. They've not won anything. You wonder how much longer that they continue to be competitive uh, with the structure that they have. You look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. As long as they've got Crosby and Malkin that are healthy, they're going to be a formidable opponent in that division, and they're going to be tough to beat. So I'm looking, I'm waiting for them to get a little bit longer in the tooth and maybe hit the downslope of their career where maybe now the Flyers could be on the upswing, and that's when there's a change of the guard 
inside that metropolitan division. Uh, and then, you know, the wild card in all of it is a team like Columbus. And, you know, they're a team that seems to be a young, exciting team to watch. They've got a good goaltender in Bobrovsky if he can stay healthy. They're going to be a team to worry about inside that division. But the Flyers, who have been building now for a couple of years, building prospects, building through the draft, doing it the right way, being patient with their young players. They've got a couple of good young goalie prospects down the pipeline that could eventually be their goaltenders of the future. But for now, they've got to find a way to be competitive in these next couple of years with some of these young guys coming up, like your Nolan Patrick's and some of their defensemen and prospects, so that these next couple of years are not you know, uh, life in purgatory for the fans of, of Philadelphia. Uh, I've been very vocal about Anthony Stolarz obviously not being the guy. Obviously, the general manager seems to feel that way as well, going out to sign a guy like Brian Elliott and not comfortable with using him as a backup. Uh, maybe it's more the non-use of Anthony Stolarz that's telling than anything. Uh, why has he kind of not developed uh, to be that guy at this point in his career? Well, the biggest thing for me, Jason, is when you're a young guy, you need to play, and you need to play a lot. And if you're going to be trained to be a number one goaltender – then you, you better be a number one goaltender at the American Hockey League level. You better be a number one goaltender at the junior level. Uh, and then eventually you just translate into being a number one goaltender at the National Hockey League level. I think one of the one of the things that concerns me about Stolarz is over his time with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms is he really has not been uh, the number one go-to guy on a nightly basis. And last year, it was, you know, I think he's had a little bit of injury concerns last year, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, but he did get called up to the Flyers for a good month, I think it was, yep. or maybe longer. And they rode Mason pretty much. They, and they, and they, yeah. Exactly. They, they rode Mason, did not play, and that, to me, was valuable time in the development of Anthony Stolarz. And although that may have been good for his pocketbook, uh, and as far as, you know, getting NHL money, which is great, maybe, you know, feed, feeding uh, the ego part of it, that, you know, I'm in the NHL, he really didn't play during that time. And as a goaltender, and I can tell you, speaking from experience, uh, there were times in my career at the American League level, either I was injured or was not the starter when I probably needed to be the starter, that I think eventually stunted my growth at the National Hockey League level. And it, and it basically trained me to be a number two goaltender at the NHL level. And if the Flyers are looking for him to be a number one guy, he's really going to have to take a major, major step this year in his development by being down in the Myers. And that's why I think signing a guy like Brian Elliott is a good thing. I don't think they've given up on Anthony Stolarz, but I think it's time for Anthony Stolarz to really take that next step at the American League level and show the organization that he's a bona fide uh, prospect for them. If not, I mean, uh, you know, you, you kind of turn the page and you're looking for the guys on down the road and guys like Hart and Sandstrom uh, and maybe Stolarz ends up becoming uh, more of a, a trade ship down the road. But the time will tell and we'll have to see how it plays out. But I can tell you one thing, competition is a great thing uh, at this position and we'll have to see who, who rises to the top in the Flyers organization. Since it, let me bounce a few things around the league off you. Carey Price signs a big deal in uh, Montreal. It was a fait accompli. They had to sign Carey Price. Eight years, Bush, at uh, an exorbitant amount of money. At his age, he's already dealt with some injuries. How long does this contract really pay dividends? And, and th- Do they think that they're in a window right now where they can win it based on the moves they're making in Montreal? Oh, I mean, I got to hope that they're hoping that they're going to win fairly soon, but the concerns that I have for Montreal immediately are down the middle for them. I mean, when you have a guy like Philip Deneau is your number one center, uh, you've got some you've got some issues in Montreal. Uh, they, they've got some they've got some needs that need to be addressed there. And to me, it's at the center ice position. Uh, you could talk about you know defense and you could talk about goaltending, but if you don't have the, the, the centers to go along with it, 
Uh, you look at Pittsburgh, you got Crosby and you got Malkin, and then they had Benito. They had three legit centers that really helped them win these Stanley Cups over the last two years. If you don't have it, you don't have a chance. I don't care how good Carey Price is going to be. But for Bergevin, it's something that he had to do. I mean, you, you, there's no way that you let Carey Price inch even closer to that UFA year uh, and, and run the risk of losing him. And I think he had to do it. Carey Price held all the um, held all the leverage in this case. And you just hope that you roll the dice that this guy and the injuries that he has had in the past don't rear its ugly head down the road. But I will tell you that when you start to get to 35 years old in the National Hockey League as a goaltender today with the, with the speed of the game, the skill of the game, it is very difficult to be at the top of your game. We're watching Henrik Lundqvist right now, and we're starting to start seeing him uh, play on the back nine of his career. This is not the same Henrik Lundqvist that we saw uh, three, four, five years ago. This is a guy that uh, gets tired. Uh, this is a guy that's wearing down, and I suspect that down the road that'll be something that Montreal is going to have to deal with. But for now, I'm sure they're hoping that they can stock that lineup up and, and really make a run at it while not only Carey Price is young, but Shea Weber's in that in that sweet spot, too. You're right. Uh, we're talking about Brian Boucher. Uh, can you explain to me the Patrick Marlowe signing in uh, Toronto? I know... I know the thought process to to put a scoring winger with with Austin Matthews, who's a veteran, but three years at, at that money seems a bit uh, ill advised to me. Uh, I mean, You've seen him a lot of him because you did a lot of their yeah, playoff I, run. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a fan of Patrick Marlowe. I played with him. I played against him in junior. Um, he's a guy that I mean, if you look at take a look at his numbers in the last, I think it's four, five, six years. I don't think he's missed a game, Jason, in all in all that time. And he's played 82, 82, 82, and I think one year was a 48 because of a, a lockout shortened season. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that is extremely durable, and the bottom line is he can still skate. He really can keep up still, and he's got some finish in him. Uh, I think 27 goals last year, maybe 25 the year prior. Uh, he goes hot and cold some years, but I think he's a guy who takes extreme, extreme good care of himself uh, off the ice. Uh, he's a quality guy, as far as I'm concerned. I know there's been some, you know, uh, talk about, you know, whether or not he's a, he's a good leader, this, that, or the other thing. But the bottom line is, he takes care of himself. He's a good family man. I think he's a good role model for some of those young guys in Toronto, and I think they need some of that veteran presence on their club. And then on the flip side of it, for Patrick Marlowe, I think a change of scenery is good for him. I mean, he's been in San Jose his whole career. He met his wife there. They started their family, and that's all fine and dandy. He's going to make San Jose his home eventually when he's done playing. But sometimes you need a jolt to your system as a player and no better jolt than to go to the hockey mecca of the world in Toronto. So for him, I think it's going to be a great uh, change of pace for him, for his family. Uh, And I think for the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're they're getting a a quality veteran that can still skate and still play. Uh, I agree. Maybe the, the, the number's a little bit high, but sometimes you just have to pay for a guy that you feel can help you in the locker room. I think this is a good young team, the Maple Leafs team. They're a team that scares me. I thought they made significant strides last year. Matthews was better than I ever expected that he would be. Uh, and I think I think Marlowe's going to help. But uh, some people think it's a little bit too much, a little bit too much term, a little bit too much money. I tend to think that it's going to help the Leafs. Any interest for the Flyers to add a guy like uh, Shane Doan, 40 years old, Yarmir Yager, or Jerome McGinley, veteran guy to, to add into this mix? You look at a guy like Doan, he spent his entire career in Arizona. You played there with him. He's been there that long. <laughs> any interest yeah. uh, in, in any of these three guys? Uh, I, I played with Doan and I played with Aginla. I love both those guys. They're quality people. I don't think the Flyers should be looking in that direction right now. I've not played. I miss Yarmir Yager here in Philadelphia, and I know the guys spoke very highly of him. But 
I'm just of the mindset right now that I'm about young, I'm about speed, I'm about playing the game fast, and I don't think any of those three guys accomplish any of that uh, for any hockey club. Yeah. I, you know, the Florida Panthers, I, I get why they had uh, Yager before, but now, I mean, they, they, they got to get, you know, Barkov and those guys playing with pace and Huberto playing with pace, they don't need to be slowing the game down. And for a guy like Doan and Aginla, there might be fits for them around the National Hockey League. I don't know if the Flyers really want to go down that road. I want to see young guys that have been spending their time in Lehigh Valley, you know, guys like a uh, Taylor Lear, get an opportunity to play at the National Hockey League level. Give them a sniff, you know what I mean? Give them a yeah. chance to go out there and prove themselves. This is not a team that's winning a Stanley Cup next year, so I want to see these guys make the, the, the next step in their development. I'm not saying hand the job to them, make them earn it, but uh, I don't want to see a logjam of veteran guys that stops these guys from getting up here and, and getting some valuable experience because I, I really, truly feel the Flyers in three or four years that's when this team is going to start to be the team in the Metropolitan Division that you're talking about. When guys like Crosby and Malkin start getting older and uh, guys like Patrick and some of these young defensemen are really starting to hit their prime. Last question for you. We're talking with Brian Boucher here on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Let's talk about a couple of the young defensemen. Had Ron Hextall on last week and he talked about three in particular, Sam Moran, Hag, and also Travis Sanheim. All three guys maybe with the possibility of making this club. Talk about first uh, playing with young defensemen from you from a goaltender perspective and then uh, kind of how you see a guy like Sam Moran translating into the uh, in the NHL level obviously a big guy uh, but it can, is he going to be able to turn those hips if you will when he's got a Tyler Johnson coming down the wing on him yeah that's going to be a, a big challenge for him he's a big body uh, I, I think Moran's more of a guy uh, that'll probably be suited for a five six role uh, in your lineup I, I, I suspect I mean if we're looking we're talking about mobile defense and and guys that can get the puck moving north and create offense and but play well defensively uh, you know that's that's more reserved for your top four guys but I think a guy like Moran if he can play with that edge if you know he's got a long reach he's got a big body uh, I think there's room for him in the national hockey league I, I think for him you know he was a high pick and typically guys that are high picks, you know, they start thinking in their head that they got to get to the National Hockey League yesterday, you know, and they, and they grow impatient and they start to feel like, oh, geez, other guys are getting called up. I'm not getting my, my call up. And they start, you know, trying to do a little bit too much. I think for a guy like Moran, if he can be uh, steady defensively, play nasty, get that puck on the stick of his forwards, you know what I mean, let them do their job, uh, then I think he could have himself a nice NHL career. And I'd like to see him up here with the Philadelphia Flyers because when you're a guy that's paid your dues in the minors and you're a draft pick, it's always good to come up and do it the right way. Uh, as far as those other young guys, I think Hag made significant strides last year yeah, in the High Valley. Uh, he, he was a plus player last year. I don't think he's going to be a, a wildly offensive guy. At the NHL level, I think he's going to be just a steady guy. You know, you think of a guy like Jarmelson who played in Chicago, now mm-hmm. he's in Arizona. You think of a guy like that, just a good complement to, you know, some other defense and guys that you can really depend upon, make a good first pass, defend well. I think he's more of a guy like that. The guy that really intrigues me is Stanheim. I think this guy is a real offensive talent, a guy that really can get you out of your seat. And I know there's a lot of talk about gossip there, but I feel like Stanheim down the road, he's a guy that could really be that guy. I don't necessarily know that he's NHL-ready at the start of this year, but I think as time grows and he gets a little bit more experience at the American League level, he could be that call-up guy that eventually starts chipping away uh, at some NHL experience. But I think he's probably the most talented 
of all those three that could be, you know, producing offense in a top four role for the Flyers down the road. Yeah, he'll certainly be a guy that everybody's going to be fo- focusing on uh, come preseason and training camp and uh, looking at that skill set because you're right, it is pretty gaudy. Hey, Boosh, we appreciate you taking time. Great job uh, on the NHL and NBC. Continued success, and uh, we're going to talk to you up the road. We're going to be hitting you up a lot here because you're bringing the great knowledge, and we appreciate it. All right, Jason, thanks for having me. Have a great summer. All right, special thanks to Brian Boucher for joining us here on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Joe Torty and Jason Mertitas at Jason Mert, at Joe Torty, at Stick Number 2 Hockey Pod on Twitter as well to get your questions and comments in. Also, uh, by the way, uh, anybody that kind of interacts with the podcast uh, at that handle at Stick to Hockey Pod, we will follow you back. Our DMs are open there as well. We want to make this kind of as interactive as possible, and we appreciate everybody that uh, uh, you know has listened so far, Spread the word. We're having a lot of fun doing this. And, uh, you know, give us your suggestions. We're always looking uh, for what you guys want out of this podcast. It's not just about us. And uh, we're going to get to some very interesting things. But right now, we're going to take some Twitter questions because we solicited some. So I'll start with one, Joe. Uh, Do you think Hextall will make a big trade this summer? Well, define big, because the Braden Shen trade was already pretty big. Yeah, he was a top six forward, a 25-goal scorer, 17 on the power play. That is probably a pretty big deal, especially when you consider the return of getting two first-round picks right. for the player as well. Let's read between the lines, though. What, what's he talking about? What's he asking about? He's yeah, asking he about Galchenyuk. Yeah, which or, now not happening. That's not happening. Or Duchesne, which is an interesting question. It's worth it to ask about Duchesne because Colorado's seeking the young NHL-ready defenseman. Draft, draft picks, picks. Yep. which the Flyers now have an abundance of, and an NHL-ready winger, which they also have. I don't know. I don't think Matt Duchesne fits perfectly with this team. But then again, Matt Duchesne fits well with a lot of teams. It's just with the youth movement, I'm not 100% sure that you want somebody who has been, I don't want to say corrupted by a losing organization the way that Duchesne has. Yeah. But I mean, you look at where he was a couple of years ago versus where he is now. It's a guy who's been beaten down by Colorado. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, let's let's go to this question here. And this one comes from, that, by the way, that first question came from Chris Reese. I like to give people credit. Uh, this one from DJ Hovden on Twitter. How will the addition of Panarin to the Blue Jackets affect their team and the Columbus Blue Jackets standing in the Metropolitan Division? Now, that's an interesting question because... Panarin's a very skilled player. The bread man can put the puck in the net. And, you know, that's a team last year that at one point in the season, they were the best team in the NHL for a long stretch of time. Can Bobrovsky stay healthy? That will remain to be seen again next year. They're very well coached under John Tortorella. I think they've improved themselves this offseason. So I I don't see any drop-off when it comes to the Columbus Blue Jackets in this division. And when you look at Chicago's end of it, too, it's a questionable deal. Why'd you do it? Because Jonathan Taves had his best years with Saad next to yeah. him. But there's something to what Kane and Panarin had that you also broke up. So stylistically, I'm not sure that Panarin fits with the Blue Jackets. But similarly, two teams might have gotten worse in this deal, the, both of the teams that made the trade. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's going it's to be interesting to see how this plays out because there's been so much movement around the league lately that it's going to be one of those really kind of interesting, see who gels first, who gets hot, who creates chemistry and all of those kind of things. Because it's not it's, you don't just throw guys on the ice together and expect it to work. Sometimes it does, sometimes Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you don't find chemistry, especially with the player coming into a new system like a Tortorella system where he's asking a lot of you. 
defensively. Panarin's going to block shots now? Yeah, you got to block shots. You know, that's, that John Tortorella, he'll, he'll pin your ass to the bench if you don't put your, your body in the line of shots. It's just the way he is. All right, let's go with this question. This one comes from Mike McCormick. And we just talked to Brian Boucher. This is a great question. Mike McCormick asks, what are the on-ice responsibilities for a goalie besides stopping the puck, in case you forgot? So this is a very interesting question. Because you play the position, Joe. I play the position. We both still do um, at, at varying levels all through. And, and the, the responsibility of a goaltender to me has changed in this day and age more than ever. Um, you know, a lot of goalies can handle the puck. We know about the guys that are good at it, like Ben Bishop is good at handling the puck. They said they kept saying, insisting Pecorine was a good puck handler. Uh, he's a willing puck handler. Yeah, not a good one, though. <laughs> he can occasionally give you a great stretch pass, but I say, stay in the net. You big, the big man needs to stay there and stop the puck. Um, you've seen guys over the years like Flurry have big-time trouble when he gets out into the trapezoid. But here's how I see this. The responsibility of the goalie, obviously, first and foremost, keep the puck out of the net. That Need no explanation. But what a goalie is supposed to do, in my opinion, is he's got to communicate. He is a quarterback. He sees everything in front of him. The play is always developing, for the most part, in front of him, unless, of course, it's behind the, the goal line and you're, and you're working from uh, behind the net. But for the most part, he can see everything in front of him, and he can see what your defensemen who are focused on the player with the puck cannot see. He can see the winger coming in off the wing, uh, coming at a certain angle. You can tell a guy to pick up backside pressure, backdoor if there's a winger that's sliding in or a guy sitting in the high slot. You can always call the, you're always calling those things out as a goalie. When a, when a defenseman jumps in a play, you're yelling cover. You want one of your wingers to cover that point. Whatever it is to prevent an odd man rush, you're yelling words like leak because they'll leak a winger. Uh, a left winger oftentimes will leak right through the neutral zone for that long stretch pass, especially in the game nowadays. So the communication part of goaltending is absolutely huge. Tracking the puck is enormous. Controlling rebounds, obvious. But to me, the biggest responsibility of a goaltender, other than just stop the puck is the ability to be the eyes and ears of everybody else that's in front of you. That's not just your defensemen, that's also your wingers because you want your wing. A lot of times you're yelling for your winger, come back to the puck on a breakout because that defenseman's pinching and he may not know he's coming. So if he just stands there to wait for it, that, that's a turnover, another scoring opportunity. Same goes for the center. You're telling them to wheel it behind, reverse it, same side. These are all the kind of like language things that you'll use to, to kind of communicate with your players to keep everybody on the same page. Really well said. A couple things to add. Just the first of all... I may have yelled a few of those (laughs) on occasion. You have some experience with that? Yes. Uh, The other thing that is an underrated part of what a goalie is is understanding the flow of the game, whether to smother the puck or to clear it. Slow it down. Yeah. Because so many, especially if you play out and you've never played goalie before, you might be like, you know, beaver tail in your stick on the ice saying, there's no one here, give it to me. You know, I'm freezing the puck because it's a bad setup for our team. Our line line is out there against their good line, things like that. Yeah, momentum, things like that. On the other side, firing breakout passes when your team is on the power play and they're trying to just dump it down there and you're trying to keep them from changing. In addition, when you've got a power play coming up, a lot of goalies don't go to the bench. Drives me insane. If you've got a power play coming up, you're on a delayed penalty, you got to get to the bench. In addition, all the communication and everything that Jason just laid out and, of course, stopping the puck, there's a lot of uh, a lot of different jobs and a lot of different hats that the goalie has to wear. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, let's go to another question and then we're going to get to Dave Isaac, uh, beat reporter uh, that covers the Philadelphia 
Philadelphia Flyers. After the signing of Elliott, will the goalies be sharing time, or is Neuvert going to get the majority of the starts? Um, uh, t- to me, for me, I I think that Elliott gets the, sh- the bulk of the starts. I think he gets 48 to 52 starts. Obviously, the health of Michael Neuvert is always a huge question mark. I think he had 25 last year in about an 888 save percentage, which is not good. In this day and age, uh, Brian Elliott's save percentage last year was 910. The year prior, I think he was a 930. His highest was a 940, and his first year was St. Louis. Um, I think that he'll be the guy that'll carry the mail the most, and Neuvert will be kind of the guy that spells him, and then if he gets hot, they'll ride him a little bit to keep both guys fresh. But to me, Elliott's that guy. And, and, and we got another tweet, and I'll just reference this one while we're here as well, is about you know kind of Mason versus Elliott. Well, Elliott's numbers are better than Mason. For his career and for recent memory. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so it's not like it's a big drop-off. And I think that, uh, yeah, here it is. Big, uh, big Bay Bully said, explain to me how the goaltender is better. We didn't save any money because for some insane reason, Neuvert got a raise and Elliott is no better than Mace. Uh, Elliott statistically is better than Steve Mason. No doubt about it. Um, it wasn't working with Mason here. He was way too outspoken uh, to the media and to the detriment of the room. It didn't work personality wise. He couldn't obviously be a 1A, 1B, a sharing situation goalie. That's why it ended up the way it did. And I know that you mentioned before when we were discussing potential goalie solutions for the Philadelphia Flyers that, you know, Brian Elliott wasn't your favorite on the list. But unlike Steve Mason, Brian Elliott will not have a meltdown. He'll have a couple games where he won't be able to stop anything and you'll get him out quickly. But Steve Mason often had games where he was lights out and then in the last five minutes of the second period, there were three pumped in on easy shots out of nowhere. You yeah. never really, Sharp angle from the goal line type thing. You've yeah. never seen Brian Elliott suffer from those things. So yeah. at least he'll be a little bit more of a stabilizing force. Yeah. And of course, went, went to the University of Wisconsin. Was a really good college goaltender. I think he had a 940 save percentage at Wisconsin. Just sick numbers. But he had to battle his way in this league. And he's going to have to keep battling. You know, he battled last year with Calgary. That was a tough situation there. Uh, so he's going to be here with the Flyers. It's not going to be easy here. There's a lot of young defensemen that could be on this roster. And when you're dealing with that much youth on the D end, then uh, certainly that's going to be something that they're going to have to, he's going to have to contend with because there's going to be turnovers. That's going to happen, and he's going to see it. But let's go right now. Flyers beat reporter Dave Isaac joining us right now on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Dave, how are you doing today? Doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. Great show so far. How's the, uh, the offseason been treating you? Well, you know, the Flyers never take too much time off. They always keep it interesting. So uh, it, it hasn't been boring, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. Let's talk about some recent events to start off here. Of course, the NHL entry draft just took place uh, just less than a week ago. The Flyers get that good luck. They move up and are able to draft Nolan Patrick. Then the news comes out uh, last Friday that Nolan Patrick had surgery on uh, the 13th of June. Um, Were you a little bit surprised uh, by the fact that he had the surgery and that it was kept under wraps through the draft? I was more surprised that it was kept under wraps because that's the kind of thing that usually doesn't fall through the cracks of uh, all the big-time national reporters and guys that have access to, to more stuff than, than most people do. The fact that that happened before the draft uh, was really surprising to me. And, and after hearing Ron Hextall talk about it, uh, it sure sounded like he was very impressed by the fact that Nolan Patrick wanted to get it done uh, early, get it out of the way before even a team drafted him. I mean, I, I don't know how much – 
that really changed things. Maybe he put up the whatever cost it was up front. I'm sure that the Flyers have since reimbursed him or whatever. But uh, I, I, obviously, it, it was something that that the uh, player wanted to get done uh, very soon. I think he was starting to get a little ticked off with all the the questions about his injury history and his health. So uh, one more reason for him to to try and put this whole thing behind him. Dave, the other big move of draft night was the trade of Braden Shen. Was there any kind of smoke that you guys were sniffing out that maybe a move was on the horizon, or was this as big a surprise to you as it was to a lot of uh, Flyer fans and hockey fans? I, I, I kind of knew that the Flyers wanted to get back into the first round. I didn't know that Braden Shen was going to be involved. I could see uh, just, just from where I was sitting that something was going on uh, between the Flyers and, and the St. Louis Blues. But, uh, yeah, I was a little bit surprised that Braden Shen was, was – you know, on his way out. Uh, he seemed like one of those pieces that they were trying to build around. Ron Hextall had used his name in the list every time he's asked about the core group, and he goes through, you know, obviously Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek and Wayne Simmons. Usually the, the next name there was Braden Shen or Sean Couturier. So uh, the Flyers certainly thought of him as being part of that group. I was surprised that that he was, uh, you know, being shipped out. But when you look at the return, I actually think the trade kind of looks better if you don't uh, put the other player's name in there. If you think that Jordan, uh, excuse me, Lori, Lori uh, Lutera, take him out of the equation. Braden Shen netted a team two first-round picks. That was the reported asking price for uh, Hamannick from the New York Islanders, and they didn't even get it. And usually defensemen are more expensive than forwards. So when you look at it from that perspective, I was surprised that he got them that much. Dave, were you at all surprised? Did you ever feel that maybe Shen's camp and the Flyers' camp were never really in lockstep or on the same page? You know, that you had the arbitration hearing that was coming last year that they settled prior to. They just weren't sure of what the player was worth and what he was able to do for the team five on five. Yeah, not so much about the, the monetary stuff, but I did think that Shen was really a good soldier in doing everything the Flyers kind of asked him to do. I mean, he was a natural centerman. Uh, it was asked to play the wing almost exclusively last season. I mean, he, I, I forget the numbers at the end of the season. I remember writing about it. He had something like seven position changes or something like that within the first two months of the year. It's just, just wacky. I mean, the stuff that they were kind of asking him to do to move around. So uh, the fact that he was versatile, I guess kind of hurt him if he was trying to be a natural centerman. But uh, I, I did think that there was, something there where they didn't know what he was. Uh, I don't know about, again, about the contract part of it, the, the arbitration thing, I, I don't think means as much. But in, in terms of what the player is going to be long-term, I, I don't think the Flyers, even looking ahead to what the St. Louis Blues are going to do, I don't think the Flyers would have an advice and say, uh, put him here because this is where he's best. I still don't think they have the right answer there. There's a youth movement, Dave, going on with the Flyers right now in the locker room. Next season in particular could look a lot different than it has in seasons past. How does the identity of the team change as far as you can see it with these young guys coming in? I think they're going to lean more on on Claude Giroux to be in a leadership role because now all of a sudden you've got more young kids here. They've got two voids on defense that at least Ron Hextall right now expects both to be filled by uh, in-house prospects. You could have Oscar Lindblom on that that team. Uh, Mike Vecchioni hasn't been around forever if if he indeed makes the NHL roster out of camp. They're getting younger, and they're going to be looking at their their guys – that are on their leadership group to try and bring them along. So if people are questioning uh, Claude Giroux's leadership ability, I'm not necessarily one of them, 
but I think that's going to get put into the limelight a little bit more here. Yeah, and he now all of a sudden is kind of the grizzled veteran here at 29 years old, uh, part yeah. of the part of the older group of players. We're talking with Dave Isaac, uh, covers the Philadelphia Flyers. Dave, uh, when you look at the, the roster right now and you look at it on paper, there's a lot of centers and there's a lot of redundancy. Do you get this sense that this team and the general manager has got a move or two up his sleeve to maybe free himself a little bit of some of these players to put players in their natural position and in a better position to succeed? Well, I think that that might have lent itself, too, to the Braden-Shen trade. When you get Nolan Patrick at number two overall, uh, not that Shen was being played mostly at center last year, but I think that probably gave Ron Hextall a little bit more freedom to say, okay, I mean, obviously, Nolan Patrick's going to have to come in and earn a spot in September, but they're kind of penciling him in there and saying, uh, we've got Giroux, we've got Couturier, we've got Patrick, and then you've got uh, a number of guys, and that's where the redundancy, I think, starts to kick in, where you have Yori Letera, you have Valtteri Filpola, uh, Scott Lawton, and Mike Vecchioni. There's not a lot of spots there for for several guys. So uh, I don't know if he makes another move or not. I think that – He's not necessarily going to move somebody out to try and fill another position because I think they they might have that scoring winger in Oscar Lindblom. They're going to give Jordan Wheel a bigger piece of the pie this year. So if they're going to move somebody, I don't think it's until training camp when they see, okay, this guy's ready for this role and this guy's not, and, and we can afford to, uh, you know, deal this player. I don't think it'll it'll be an imminent thing. I think they'll want to see a lot of this competition play out in September. Dave, when it comes to the Philadelphia Flyers, the question is always what's going on in between the pipes. It's looking like there's going to be another timeshare situation with Brian Elliott taking the place of Steve Mason. As far as you can see it, have they improved their standing from last year? I don't think that Brian Elliott is a far and away better goalie than Steve Mason. But if you're looking for somebody to come in and be okay with the platoon, they certainly got it because that's what Brian Elliott's kind of been a part of his whole career. So I think a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, replacing Steve Mason with Brian Elliott had to do with what the Flyers see fit in in goal in terms of the plan for the next couple of years at least uh, as it relates to sharing time. Uh, so I think that that was probably the biggest factor there is that Brian Elliott was, was comfortable with that scenario um, and and the Flyers got him obviously at a much better value than Steve Mason, uh, but I, I think that's that's kind of the, the nutshell of it. Yeah, you look at a guy in, in Steve Mason at a four point one million dollar cap hit. Now all of a sudden, both your goaltenders under five million combined. Certainly a situation that a cap strap team can uh, take advantage of. Let's look at the guys that play in front of the goalie real quick, because uh, obviously the defense is where all the prospects are, at least uh, to this point in the high level ones. Dave, uh, I talked to Ron Hextall last week on this very podcast, and he alluded to Sam Moran and uh, and Hag as guys that are ready to step in and fill NHL level positions right now. He also uh, didn't poo-poo Sanheim as possibly being a guy that could make this team. Heading into a season with the three I just mentioned, also a very young still, Shane Gostis bear, and a young decor. Really, I guess your most tenured guy would be either McDonald or, or Gudis at this point. Um, that's going to allow for a lot of defensive breakdowns, especially early on. Uh, is that something that they can really handle here uh, with a new goaltender coming into a new system as well? Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting uh, thing to see play out in, in front of the goaltending. And I, I think, I mean, obviously they want to do this whole platoon thing. I think Michael Neuver is going to get the ball uh, early on here. 
uh, Ron Hextall absolutely loves Michael Neuvers and, and says if, if this guy could stay healthy, he would A, be paid more, and B, wouldn't be part of a platoon scenario. He would be a bona fide number one goalie. So uh, I, I think that he'll have a little bit more of a comfort level with those players, uh, and that may be part of the reason why he, he gets the, the nod early on. But, yeah, they're, they're going to have to deal with some of these defensive miscues from young players. And, you know, they dealt with it with Shane Gostisbehere for a, a lot of last season. Ivan Provorov was a very quick learner. He had that minus five game against the Chicago Blackhawks that was really an, uh, an abnormality of the entire season. He was very excellent outside of that one game. But uh, they're, they're going to have to do it. This is how young teams learn. So, yeah, they're going to bring two guys in. And, and I agree with what you said there, Jason. I think that – uh, Moran and Haig are probably the ones with the early lead uh, just because, not necessarily just because they got each got a game at the end of, of last season, but they've both been through at least two years in the AHL, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the Flyers certainly see that, that progression there. Dave, as you take a look into your crystal ball and Ron Hextall and the rest of this offseason, what other moves might be brewing here? How else might the roster change? I don't think he's looking to bring anybody else in. I mean, if if he does indeed want a, a veteran defenseman to try and help out there, I think he'll wait and, and see these kids fall on their faces in the preseason and then say, okay, you know what, we do need a little bit more help here. Uh, I don't think there's, there's a whole lot to add, certainly offensively, because they already have too many bodies. So I, I think this is pretty much as close to uh, the, the roster as, as you can see before October 4th when they kick off their, their season, unless something changes in training camp. I, I really think that what they have right now is what they want to see uh, kind of let those those ships fall where they may in terms of who makes a team and who doesn't in training camp. But this is the crew that I, I think they'll go in with. Uh, talking with Dave Isaac. Last question for you, Dave, and appreciate you joining us here on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Um, Ron Hextall alluded to the fact when I spoke to him last week about maybe bringing in a veteran defenseman on a PTO-type contract. There's a couple of names out there, forwards, that Flyer fans are interested in as well. Of course, Yarmir Yager, because of the tenure that he uh, that he spent here a few years ago and the effect it had on Giroux. Also, Shane Doan in that category, maybe Jerome McGinley. Do you see it making any sense for the Flyers to look at any of these guys? Certainly Yager, no, because he's he's followed a pattern where he's gone to a place that will allow him to, to have more ice time and the Flyers aren't willing to go down that path. If, if they do bring somebody in, it would be in a very limited role. I think Shane Doan might be uh, open to something like that if he wants to continue his career. The Flyers brought him in, uh, if you remember, a couple seasons ago during the free agency period. There were, there were leaked photos of a jersey that was made up for him and the whole bit. So there may be a little bit of a tie there. Uh, and, and in terms of Aginla, I think he's a guy that, that probably wants not necessarily ice time, but wants a role where he can continue to score. And I think the Flyers are, are turning to a point where they're saying our, our kids are going to run this uh, a little bit like the Maple Leafs last year, where they're going to live and die by their, their young talent. So I don't see uh, really a very high percentage for any of them. But if I had to pick one of the three, it would probably be done. Yeah, of course, he's 40 years old. I lied last question. Let me ask you, I'm just going to put you on the spot real quick. Oscar Lindblom, is he on this team opening night? I think so, yeah. I think that Ron Hextall has such a high view of the Swedish Elite League, 
and he's playing with men Lindblom, over there. Yeah, right. Well, and not only was he playing with men, but he was uh, just a hair off the league lead in goal scoring. So mm-hmm. he was he was very good at that level. It's not like saying, okay, well, he held his own there. Maybe he can do it over here. Uh, he was pretty elite over there in in that crew, and and that's why I think uh, he's going to be given a real shot here to be on the opening night roster. Yeah, and certainly saw a little time in the AHL last year too, so that helps as well. Hey, Dave, we appreciate the time. We're going to be hitting you up up the road as well. Awesome. Keep up the good work, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Special thanks to uh, Flyers uh, beat reporter Dave Isaac for joining us here on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Jason Mertidis, Joe Torty, at Jason Mert, J-A-S-O-N-M-Y-R-T, at Joe Torty, J-O-E-T-O-R-D-Y. And the new, the new, you created this today. Good job by you, Joe. You know, every once in a while I do something right around here. Stick the number two hockey pod is a the official podcast Twitter handle. Make sure you follow there. We will follow you back. We love we love the interacting with everybody. That's really the great thing about this is the, the reason why we're doing it is because we just want to talk about the game that we all love. We don't get enough of it on the radio here. You being on the radio here, me as well. Uh, these are the conversations we'd love to have. And we'd love to have them with great hockey fans because there's a lot of them here. And not just Flyer fans, NHL fans. It's awesome. And then the reception's been fantastic. The interaction with you guys, the questions, the feedback, everything that you give us goes directly into this podcast. So you guys are as much a part of this as we are. So the best way now to reach out to us, obviously, is our our personal Twitter accounts, but also if it's podcast related, stick to hockey pod on Twitter. That is the best way. And we're going to put not only uh, the feedback, the back and forth, but also there's going to be video content. There's going to be links to articles, things like that, that you're not going to necessarily hear here in podcast form that you can get there. And you'll interact with us on a day to day basis there. Yeah. And also uh, real quick too, uh, just to put a question out to the people that are listening right now. uh, If there's any guests that you want to hear, certainly send those as well. You know, we've had some, some, pretty good guests here to start off with Chris Pryor, Ron Hexall, obviously Brian Boucher and Dave Isaac today. We're going to get some more national guys. Mark Recchi's going to be coming up, who's going to be going in to the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame coming up uh, in November. We're also going to talk uh, w- with some national guys like Elliot Friedman we're going to talk to and a bunch of different guys, Chris Terrian, some local guys. Fantasy. We're going to yeah. get into fantasy Fantasy for well. sure. I-, I did fantasy last year for the first time. I never did hockey fantasy. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew you had to change your lineup. I didn't know you could sub guys out. And I got lucky. I ended up winning my league. Just by keeping everybody in? Well, sixth, I, I, I drafted six, and I got Connor McDavid. Well, that helps, I think. There yeah, you go. That wasn't bad. <laughs> so I had McDavid, and Marshan went on a run. It was, it was nuts. So we'll get into that as we get closer to the season with fantasy rankings and all that stuff. And again, the, uh, if you are listening as well and you want to advertise uh, on the podcast, we'd love to have you. Hit us up on the email, stick to hockey biz, stick the number two, hockeybiz at gmail.com. Send us your info. We'll certainly get in contact with you and work out the details on that and how that works. I'm not sure how it works. We'll figure it out. We'll do it all together. But it's been a blast doing the the first two episodes and obviously this the third one. So uh, uh, we'll wrap things up for here. We may do another podcast coming up on Friday. Uh, looks like we're going to be talking with Nolan Patrick, the Flyers' uh, number one pick and the number two pick overall in the draft. Just had that surgery. We're going to love to talk to him. We're also going to talk to Jim. You can subscribe now on iTunes. I'm told Stitcher will be up any moment now. I don't know what that – do you know what Stitcher is? Uh No. Okay. A website, maybe? Well, it's some way to subscribe <laughs> to the podcast and, and, and to consume it as well. Also, if you go on the Wildfire page and uh, hit the Stick to Hockey podcast, there's a message board there. We can start some communication on that as well. Um, so, you know, 
you don't have to go on HF boards or Broad Street Hockey. I, I love all those guys, and I go on those boards as well. Um, and just, a lot of times I don't post. The only one I ever posted, I think, was HF boards, and they, they love to rip me, which is which is fine. <laughs> which is cool. I get it. Look, it happens. They disagree with some of my assessments. They disagree with uh, maybe if I do actually have sources or things like that. Look, take it for what you will. You can rip me. It's all good. I don't care. Uh, but if you want to communicate and correspond on our message board, you can do that. We'd love to have you, and obviously through the Twitter handles and everything else as well. Yeah, so the podcast is going worldwide. You're hearing us everywhere now. Yeah. So that's the exciting part of all this, and obviously we're looking forward to growing. And uh, you guys are, like I said, tremendous helps with that. So suggestions for content, guests, everything else, we're open to anything. And uh, if you guys want it, enough of you want it, we'll make it happen. Absolutely. So for Joe Torty, I'm Jason Martinez. You've been listening to the Stick to Hockey podcast, episode three. Enjoy the week, everybody. We may have another one for you on Friday. We'll keep you abreast of the situation. Until then, stick to hockey.